Welcome back to the podcast. This is week six, and the title of this podcast is Whose Likeness Is This? And if you'll notice in the title when you downloaded this particular podcast, there's a little asterisk at the end of the title, and that's an indication that what I'm about to share with you in this week's episode is actually a sermon that I preached. As I shared in the introduction, I am a preacher, and so there are a number of times where I think that a sermon that I've preached in the past to our church would um, be a benefit because of something I say or, or something that I reference that I help think will potentially tie in something else that I've already covered in the podcast. And so this was a sermon I preached about a year ago, um, October the 22nd of 2017. We were working our way through the Gospel of Matthew, and in Matthew 22, verses 15 to 22, was the section on where Jesus says, um, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And so I've decided to insert this sermon as the podcast for this week, and I've done so primarily because it's of its connection to Genesis 1. 26 and 27 and so in the future when you see a podcast title with an asterisk at the end of it you can know that that there will be a short introduction maybe me explaining why I've decided to insert this one but the podcast itself um, will will in fact be a sermon that I've preached and so um, again as always would love to hear some feedback but I hope that that you find this beneficial The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Then the Pharisees went and plotted plotted how to entangle Jesus in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled. And they left him and went away. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. You may be seated. You know, it's never been a good idea to try to entangle Jesus in his words. And yet, I personally am thankful for people who try. It's so much easier for us to see the errors in our own ways of thinking when others make the mistakes for us. I mean, this is why it's fun to watch blooper reels or it's fun to watch when people mess something up that's so commonplace because it it makes us remember that, wow, we're not the only ones. So when we watch them, then we are able to receive Jesus's correction that much easier because it's being given to somebody else. So this morning, the Pharisees' disciples provide us with just such an occasion. So if you have a Bible and would like to open it to Matthew 22, we're going to spend a few minutes just in the eight verses that I read to you just a moment ago. Here's what we read in Matthew 22, starting in verse 15. 
Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. Jesus wastes no time in untangling the hoped-for mess that the Pharisees brought to his door. He sees straight through their facade and rightly calls them hypocrites. They're hypocrites because if they really believed that Jesus was true and that he taught the way of God truthfully, they would respond to his teaching. But they don't respond. Their supposed praise of Jesus as true and as a truthful teacher of the ways of God are aimed at entangling him and getting him in trouble either with the Romans or the Israelite people. And the question they ask is how they hope to entangle him. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? The question itself is asked in such a way that a yes or a no response will raise further questions rather than supplying answers. If Jesus answers yes, it is lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, it will put him in disfavor with an already burdened Jewish people. Some estimate that a Jewish family paid approximately 49% of its annual income to various taxes already. 32% to the Romans, 19% for their crops, and 13% on sales income and other taxes. 12% to Jewish taxes, 8 more percent on their crops, and 4% on temple and sacrifice taxes, and an additional 5% on forced extractions from corrupt officials. The question then that had been on every revolutionary's mind throughout Israel's history was how to relieve the burdens of the people from those oppressing them. Imagine how you'd like it if you woke up one morning and discovered that people from the other end of the world had marched into your country and demanded that you pay them tax as the reward for having your land stolen. That sort of thing still causes riots and revolutions, and it had done just that when Jesus was growing up in Galilee. In fact, every revolutionary before Jesus had centered his campaign around issues of taxation, promises to throw off Roman rule and oppression, If Jesus is who he says he is, certainly he'll do the same, right? Especially if he's the Messiah. The disciples of the Pharisees wanted to know, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, if Jesus answers no, it is not lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, you can be fairly certain these leaders would eagerly saunter off and report to Rome that Jesus is an insurrectionist. Someone who takes part in an armed rebellion against the constituted authority. Other revolutionaries had tried their own hand at rebellion against Rome and it cost every one of them their lives. 
The Pharisees' disciples knew then that either answer Jesus gave would jeopardize his mission, which was exactly their intent. They wanted to entangle him in his words, and they thought they had him cornered with their cleverness. And then Jesus opens his mouth. At first, we might wonder just how he's going to get out of this one. So let's look at what he says. Look at verse 18. Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Now, asking for a coin is really the beginning of Jesus' answer. The start of a strategic outflanking move. I love it that Jesus doesn't deal in lofty ideals like the Pharisees' disciples. He keeps things on the ground level where everyone can understand. He simply asks for a coin and one is brought to him. And once he has a visual in front of everyone's eyes, he asks his question, which is what Jesus always seems to do when he's asked a question first. Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Now in order to understand what Jesus is talking about, let's unpack this piece by piece. Here is a picture of a Roman denarius. On the front side of the coin, which is here, there's an image of Caesar with the inscription, Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. So any particular Caesar that is reigning at the time, which we would know as Caesar, Tiberius Caesar, any particular Caesar is going to hearken back to the first Caesar, Augustus. But they refer to Augustus as divine. And so in a very real sense, this would say Caesar, son of God, is basically what is happening here. On the back side of the coin... Right here, if you can see it clearly, you'll see a little seat there with a woman sitting on it, is a picture of the seated Pax, the Roman goddess of peace, with the words, high priest. That's this uh, pontiff maximus. You might recognize that if you know anything of Latin, but that's exactly what it says. The Pax Romana then, or the Roman peace, as it was called, was just what it sounded like. Rome's promise that if loyalty was given to its empire, peace and prosperity would be available to all. For Jesus' purposes, though, he only asks the Pharisees' disciples to identify the likeness and inscription on the front of the coin. And so we'll do the same. They do so. Again, I love Jesus' simplicity, the entire way he approaches teaching. Because Jesus really is true and does teach the way of God truthfully, he can use anything he wants as a teaching tool. If it's taxes the people are concerned about, well, then let's talk about the very coins used to pay those taxes, why don't we? So he asks them, whose likeness and inscription is this? Now, the answer is obvious, and everyone knows it. Caesar's. So then what's Jesus' point? Why ask such a silly-sounding question? Here's the reason. In any kingdom... The currency being exchanged bears the likeness and inscription of its leaders. Always. It's the same today. 
Here's our dollar bill. Well, how about that? Here's our dollar bill. It bears the likeness of George Washington, our country's first president. This is just the way that currency happens to work. Go to any country at any period of time, look at their money, you're going to see their presidents, their prime ministers, their leaders, their kings, whatever. So Jesus directs everyone's attention to this simple reality. In any kingdom, the currency being exchanged bears the likeness and inscription of its leaders. So Jesus says to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Now, is Jesus just riding the fence here? Is he sidestepping the answer to their question? Is he just saying, give to Caesar your taxes and give to God your tithes? No, he's not. He's doing something far more marvelous. He's making a direct comparison between Caesar and God, between Rome's kingdom and God's kingdom. And he's doing so by looking at currency, the treasures of a kingdom. And what is implied with currency? In any kingdom, the currency being exchanged bears the image it bears the likeness and inscription of its leaders. Okay, so then the million-dollar question is this. What is the currency in God's kingdom? If the denarius bears the likeness and inscription of Caesar, what bears the likeness and inscription of God? If you have a Bible and would like to open it to page 1, I would like to tell you. Open your Bibles to Genesis 1 and look with me at verse 26. Verse 26 very simply says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Do you see then what Jesus is saying to the disciples of the Pharisees? If Caesar's likeness and inscription is on the coin and the people are to give to Caesar what bears his inscription, then what Jesus is telling the Pharisees' disciples is to give to God what bears his inscription themselves. Do you know why Israel was forbidden to make images of their God? Do you know why Israel was forbidden to worship anything they claimed embodied the form of God? Because they are His image. Created in His likeness. Crafted to look just like Him and to rule His creation as He would. To make an image of God and then to worship it is offensive to God because it is a declaration that we don't know who we are. The Pharisees' disciples are making the same mistake still. They want to trap Jesus by arguing about what they have. Jesus bypasses their question and goes straight to the heart of the matter. He addresses not what they have, but who they are. Or should we say, whose they are. What we are talking about here are treasures, riches, 
But the disciples of the Pharisees think that treasures mean money. They think they're going to get Jesus to declare where they are to give their possessions and they are completely oblivious to the fact that they themselves are possessions. God's possessions. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. The Pharisees' disciples have forgotten one of the most fundamental facts of their existence that they are God's treasured possession. Turn with me one book to Exodus chapter 19. To the passage intended to shape Israel's identity as a people more than any other passage in the Old Testament. When you find it in Exodus chapter 19, I am going to begin reading in verse 4, just for by way of context, Israel has been ransomed from Egypt. They've been brought to the base of Mount Sinai, and before the Ten Commandments are ever given, God has some things He wants to tell His people about who He is and about who they are. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, God tells them, and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to Myself Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Entering into covenant with God ensures that his people become his treasure, his very own possession. Those who bear his likeness and inscription and who serve him as a kingdom of priests. Remember, in any kingdom, the currency being exchanged bears the likeness and inscription of its leaders. And who is the leader in God's kingdom? God himself. Therefore, the real treasure in God's kingdom are those who bear the likeness and his likeness and his inscription, his very own people. Peter then claims the same foundational facts for the church in the New Testament. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are a people for God's very own possession. We are his currency, his treasure. You see then, God doesn't want our stuff. He doesn't want our money. He doesn't want our sacrifices or our time or our service and or, and please hear me clearly, even our obedience. God wants us, his treasured possession the currency of his kingdom that bears his likeness and inscription. Because the truth is, we can give God all sorts of things and still be holding back what is fundamentally ourselves. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts, Aristotle once said, and he's exactly right. Giving God our whole selves most certainly includes our money, our sacrifices, our time, our service, and our obedience, but the sum of those parts does not equal the whole. 
we must give Him our whole selves first, who we are, and then all that we have naturally follows. For this reason, Paul appeals to the Christians in Rome, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Present yourselves to God as the treasured possession that you are. Offer Him everything you are and all that you hope to be, your greatest hopes, your greatest fears, the type of career you pursue, where you live, how you parent your kids, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, how you love your neighbors, who you choose to become friends with, whether or not you choose to open your heart, and on and on and on. People themselves are the currency in God's kingdom because we bear the likeness and inscription of our leader, God himself. On the back of the Roman denarius, like I had said already, is the image of Pax, the Roman goddess of peace with the inscription, High Priest. In other words, the way to obtain peace with the gods in the Roman Empire was through the sacrifice of giving the very coin that bore the likeness of the goddess of peace. But what does God say about His people? You shall be to me a kingdom of priests. What are priests? Those who stand in the gap between God and the people. And he is saying to Israel, and he is saying to us, that is you. You don't offer the world terms of peace like they did in Rome by demanding from them the coins that bear the image of the priest. You make peace with the people in this world through the offering of yourselves on their behalf. That is what it means to be a priest. That is what it has always meant. Read the book of Exodus and watch the discrepancy between Aaron as the actual high priest who does not faithfully do that for the benefit of the people or the nations and Moses who much more accurately embodies the role of the priest but is hated by the people for it and is never actually put in that position. We are being called to walk in those steps because in God's kingdom, we're not only his image bearers, we're also his priests. The bringers of peace to the world through the sacrifice of giving our very selves, the selves that bear the likeness of the God of peace. That is nowhere made clearer than in Ephesians chapter 2 when speaking about Jesus. And here's what Paul says. Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. And then in the book of Philippians, Paul tells us, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. In any kingdom, the currency being exchanged bears the likeness and inscription of its leaders. That's you, and that's me. We are the currency. We are the treasure. And our very lives are what we owe 
to God. Jesus confounded the people in his day in a way that I hope he's still doing with us. He's not asking us to give him bits and pieces or parts of us. There are other places in the New Testament that break down for us exactly how you do relate to the state with your money, but that's not Jesus' primary concern, and it shouldn't be ours. His primary concern is how we relate with him with who we are. And this goes extremely deep. This goes to the very core of everything. For us in our own walk of faith to be able to approach God and to let our hands let go of everything that we hold on to. Reputation. Direction in life. Some of us laughed this morning, aging bodies and not knowing how much longer we may even have here. That's okay because we are not our own. We've been bought with a price. Therefore, Paul says, glorify God with your body. We are living sacrifices, presenting ourselves as sacrifices, offering them to God what we actually are, and knowing that we are far more than an exchange of money. That is not what is happening here. In fact, it doesn't take you long to figure out why Jesus got so upset in the temple when that's what was being exchanged. That's not what temples are for. Temples are for people to come and offer themselves to God and for Jesus to be there, to go, for God to offer himself to the people. But guess what got in the way? The money. Now people are a means to get to money. It's completely backwards. And Jesus flies off the handle as he justly should. But when you and I come to know, even if it's just a little, who we actually are as image bearers made in the likeness of God, it changes the way we think about the world. And it changes the way we think about him. And as it does, we are more and more and more freed to give him more and more of ourselves. Father, we ask you to forgive us for the many ways in this world that we have not given you our whole selves. We will confess later as part of our service this very thing. We want to be made aware of this on a daily basis because we want to honor you properly by recognizing who we actually are. We are your currency. You call us your treasure. And you are interested in investing in us, your inheritance, those who bear your image and your likeness, who are made to look just like you. Thank you so much for the way that Jesus teaches us and redirects us and subtly rebukes us. Thank you for the way that he silenced the enemies of you and of your kingdom. Thank you that you've, get, you've given Jesus the, a mind that transcends all minds and a heart that 
is deeper and more in tune with you than anyone ever has been. Humble us this week. Show us what it will look like in each of our lives to give you our whole selves. Show us the joy that accompanies a life completely surrendered to you. We thank you and we praise you. In your son's name, Jesus Christ, we pray.